Welcome to Audio Gyan with Kedar Nimkar, a podcast that documents insightful conversations with Indian designers, artists, musicians, writers, thinkers, and creatives of all types. Catch us on iTunes or visit audiogyan.com for more Gyan sessions. Here's your host, Kedar Nimkar. Today, I have Aziz Kachwala with us on Audio Gyan. Aziz studied to be a product designer from NID Ahmedabad. after graduating with btech degree in civil engineering from iit mumbai with over two decades of experience in exhibition lighting retail and furniture design the orange company is a design consultancy firm that does large multidisciplinary interior architectural projects his design studio is located in masgao in south mumbai and his workshop is called at tin uh thank you aziz sir uh, for giving us your time and it's a real honor to have you on audio again so welcome to the show Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I've done a couple of interviews uh, with uh, previously with furniture designers and uh, designers who re- build real life products. Uh, and this, I wanted to uh, slightly understand more about material and especially some bits of ply which you have worked on. So I've come up with few questions and let's see, like uh, how. you want to you you can just take it forward <laughs> okay yeah okay um so the first thing uh, which i want to ask you so kedar okay, just one correction yeah you mentioned that my workshop is called uh, atin hmm it's actually not atin okay it's called atin oh atin atin is actually an arabic word okay it means the fig tree fig as in f i g fig tree oh okay okay we are located in a area called old anjirwadi Mm-hmm. And Anjir being fig, Anjirwadi was actually a fig orchard once upon a time in Mazgaon. Oh, nice! So, so okay. we use that particular word to name the studio. Also, it sounds a little bit unusual, mm-hmm. and it's always a talking point when people call it Atin, mm-hmm. and actually it's not Atin at all. It's Atin. Atin. Interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, like to begin with, uh, what are your observations while? uh playing with other materials we'll come to ply but uh, you have been dealing with different kinds of materials right so if you can start off by just setting some context as to uh what characteristics uh or p- take up any particular case study which you have worked on and just if you can tell us uh, what does material as a word mean to you and philosophically obviously and and more about it Well, I think that's the core uh, building block of a product. Hmm. I mean, the material material has to be there. You know, it, it, it everything is materialistic in that sense. The moment you talk about the product, you talk about material. So, material becomes a very important factor. And you know, you the right choice of material for a particular product becomes extremely important. So, it's it's not just a question about that you use one particular material or the other. It's it's uh, necessarily about what suits that particular product. and uh, what do you intend to achieve uh, with that particular product which uh, decides the choice of the material mm. so if any example like probably uh, one of the work which you have done and how did that process happen and what was the process while selecting the material or what was the brief like or it could be a self commissioned work also so if you can just tell us about that so we recently did a project with a company called uh, jaipur jewels who were looking for uh, knockdown display cases for the jewelry because they do a lot of uh, exhibitions across the country which are like traveling exhibitions they would go to a particular place exhibit their products for 2 or 3 days 
and then the the uh, jewelry and the cases would have to be repacked and got back again they're based in bombay so for that you know we we realized that what was required was visibility and we required what was required was also durability so we are looking for a transparent material and visibility uh, in the sense what is inside or correct exactly okay, okay. because thought... these are display cases the jewelry okay. is uh, <coughs> it showcase within that particular case hmm. so we could have used say maybe a plastic a clear plastic like acrylic but uh, it uh, over a longer duration it wouldn't have been uh, suitable because acrylic is prone to scratches handling and things like that so you know the right choice for that according to us was glass although glass is much heavy heavier than acrylic and it makes the cases much more heavier but nevertheless given the the context and the situation i think glass was the right uh, material to use hmm. so so you know i mean that's 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 what it involves like you know you look at the particular uh, context you look at the product you see how it is going to be used you see what is the life cycle of that product for how long and in in which what way it's going to be used also that becomes important and then you you build a you use to choose a material according to that mm-hmm. sorry i would slightly get into this particular thing again so uh, what was the process because you are doing a trade off here because there's a scratch uh, prone material versus this but there's a weight also so how how was the trade off uh communicated so so we basically then it it was a discussion with the client and you have to make the client aware of the fact that you know why you are choosing a particular material why are you recommending a particular material so in this particular case it was a question of uh, convincing the client that this was the the right choice mm-hmm. uh, you know given the situation Mm-hmm. So although yeah there is a trade off over there but then you know it actually I wouldn't call it a trade off it's not really a trade off okay so although the 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 weight of the glass is heavier than that of acrylic but still the the context demands that we use glass mm-hmm. and where it is necessary we have to use it because the acrylic see also is a question that you know these cases need to look because they are jewelry cases they need to be look absolutely crystal clear now if you have a material which is going to uh, which is prone to scratches and which is going to start degrading over a period of time it beats the purpose of the case itself mm-hmm. you know you have sparkling diamonds and you have gold inside it's all it's all uh, you know precious metal jewelry which you are showcasing mm-hmm. so you need to you know uh, you know uh, put that into a case which actually you know reflects the nature of the jewelry itself mm-hmm. There's justice to the internal yeah yeah and yeah. glass is like close to crystal in that sense so mm-hmm. you know Mm-hmm. the clarity is there and the the neatness of the product is very important in that case mm-hmm. cool uh i would slightly now take the plye wala question which i wanted to ask you uh is uh what does plye as a material mean to you because uh, at least my exposure or uh, when i was doing interview with praveen singh sir and uh, shrikant sir uh we spoke about wood and i wanted i just got a brief idea what the material is and how stronger bamboo as a material is similarly if you can give some properties about ply because this obviously you've dealt with lot of materials but ply in specific because i have a follow up question on that so ply is actually in no way different from wood no it is processed wood hmm. so you have like uh, you know thin sheets of wood which are kind of laminated together which are stuck together with a particular resin bonded together hmm. to to make it into a flat sheet 
and then it becomes convenient to use it becomes uh, easy to kind of uh, you know make uh, things out of it mm. uh, if you take wood and you start shaping wood and doing things like that of course it's got its own uh, processes and its its own uh, uses and its own beauty but ply is a, it's it's a convenient material you want to make some pieces of furniture it becomes easy to cut to put together to screw down together do all those kind of and in the end it is actually wood only mm. it's not any in any way different from wood but the uh, the i don't know maybe it's a very layman question but it is perceived slightly low quality is it uh, or no <laughs> i think at the end of the day probably you know we as designers need to have respect for all materials <laughs> yeah i don't, I don't that's think, why i said as a lay person because when i'm i don't think there's any such thing as a low grade material or a high grade material there is something known as an appropriate material and if you can make uh, use of materials for their own sake like for instance ply i mean a lot of people yeah you're right about that the normal perception is that ply is yeah. a low grade material sure. but if you look at it like uh, right from the time of charles eames mm-hmm. you know making a uh, uh, bent ply furniture okay and that charles eames used uh, ply you know he bent the ply to make his furniture and those are uh, iconic designs today I mean, mm-hmm. it's like fantastic in that sense. Yeah. So why should ply be treated as a low-grade material? Is something which I think it's just that you know there is an ignorance about how you can treat the ply. Mm-hmm. You know, if you take ply for whatever it is and you treat it in a proper fashion, it has its own beauty. I mean, what you see on the surface of ply is basically the wood grains which are running through. Mm-hmm. That yeah. is what you will see in a wooden product also. you will see the wood grains on the surface mm. so what you perceive on the surface is exactly wood but yeah there is some sort of a glaring difference between the texture and the feel and sure there is yeah. sure there is but mm. then you know it's again you know it's it's something like what what you do with the ply and how you finish it that becomes very important mm-hmm. in so, terms of shelf life is it uh, lesser or like what's the life of a ply or it depends on the company or it depends on well, i think it fit. depends upon the grade of the ply okay so if the ply is made from uh, really good quality materials i think uh, i mean i think even uh, you know furniture made out of plywood is uh, very easily good for maybe about uh, 25 30 maybe even 40 years mm-hmm. uh, at my parents place uh, we have some uh, furniture which was made out of ply maybe in the 1960s Oh. that is that is still existing today and it still looks as good as ever mm-hmm. of course that ply had been covered over with a veneer but uh, essentially the material is ply itself mm-hmm. and it is not degraded it is not given away in any way at all mm-hmm. but kedar i have you know there is there is a you know concern over here it's mm-hmm. it's also a question about how much uh, people respect objects which is also then related to the nature of the object itself and the way it has been made because if people start respecting objects then they will start caring for them they'll use them appropriately and then the life of the object will go up much more hmm. i mean it's true for everything else correct you know it's a question of you know like if you have a car how well do you maintain it how much do you look after it hmm. if you abuse it and misuse it then obviously it'll give up on you but if you don't give up on that object then i think that object will give you service for a long long time correct correct yeah actually it could be a very like naive question but i was just making some furniture for my house and uh, like i stumbled upon some teak wood and the people who were selling those say ye 150 saal purana hai ye 400 saal purana hai so is it 
so does uh, like wood as a material in a longer run become seasoned as we say right so what is like does ply happen to do that sort of a thing or is it processed i just want to understand the nature of the material no i don't think i think there are two uh, uh, different things entirely mm-hmm. i think the wood is different and the ply is different so wood has its own uh, inbuilt uh, you know resin inside which actually bonds it and holds it together and when uh, it's it's not something which can age indefinitely in fact the the longer the wood ages the weaker it becomes because the the resin which is there which is like the sap of the tree or you know uh, that kind of keeps on drying out over a period of time and as it dries out the wood becomes more and more brittle then mm-hmm. it becomes it has a tendency then to start splintering and breaking away mm-hmm. and even cracking So you know it's not as if uh, you know somebody says it is 400 years old wood so it's, it's very good mm. not necessarily so at all okay wood i think what happens with wood is that if it is freshly cut it is still uh, there's a lot of uh, sap inside and that tends to start drying out because uh, because it's no longer part of the growing tree you know that mm. it it's kind of dead in that sense so whatever it is it starts drying out that drying out process could cause it to warp so that is why seasoning of the wood or allowing it to dry naturally kind of stabilizes the wood mm. and then it's good it's good but it's good for a period of time mm. i mean it just cannot go on and on endlessly you know mm-hmm. although of course there are you know it also depends upon what is the size of the wood and the cross section of the wood and what kind of wood and where it comes from and so it's a complicated material wood mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. you need to like really you know work on it and understand it and you know it's it's not simple plywood is simple Mm-hmm. like wood has got a certain set of properties those properties kind of remain you know they don't keep on altering mm. it is uh, a rare issue that you will a good quality ply will start warping or you know doing various things onto you mm-hmm. i have i have made some furniture out of say uh, salwood which is easily available in our country so freshly cut salwood is a disaster because okay. if you process that salwood immediately and make some furniture you will find that over a period of uh, maybe a month and a half or two months also it'll it'll have warped it'll have kind of twisted around and you know it'll oh, it'll, it'll create all kinds of issues for you mm-hmm. uh, certain other woods are much more stable like teak wood is probably a lot more stable rosewood is very stable mm-hmm. so you know it depends it depends upon the wood and how fresh it is and whether it's uh, it's been aged or not or you know how properly it is processed also maybe. correct yeah correct. okay uh, sir i wanted to ask you about flexi ply because that's uh, like i i just i was discussing with lot of friends and it seemed to be a very old thing and for me it is very new so if you can share some insights into that and the chair which you made uh, and other products which are made out of flexi ply how mm. different it is from a regular ply or what is different So regular ply is basically made up of uh, 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 thin sheets of wood in which you know every alternate layer has its grains uh, in the uh, in a direction perpendicular to the previous layer. Okay. Okay. That means the grains of uh, every alternate uh, every uh, subsequent layer are not aligned. Mm-hmm. In flexi ply they are aligned. So what happens is that it allows the ply to bend in one direction. whereas uh, your regular ply will not allow it to bend in e- in either direction mm-hmm. because you know it, it, the grains are crossing each other on every subsequent layer mm-hmm. 
So I think that's that's about the only difference. The mm. flexi ply basically just uh, you know again it's an easy way of uh, making bent plywood furniture. Mm. Whereas uh, normally you would go through take a regular ply and go through steam bending or you would you know do your lay- layering yourself. Mm. So you would take thin sheets like veneers which you get you know. Mm. So you would take a veneer and wrap it around a, a kind of a, a surface, whatever the shape that you want, and then you would put another layer of it. You know, you would you would put some glue or something between them, put another layer, clamp it together, then put a third layer, and so on and so forth, mm. and create a entire you know piece out of that. Flexiply just makes it very very easy and convenient for you. Mm-hmm. But is there any threshold to bending? As in. are there any standard figures or it again depends on the what kind of ply it is being is manufactured no there is a threshold and it that depends upon the thickness of the ply okay so if you take like very thin ply then you can probably bend it to a much greater degree hmm. that is the 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 radius of the bend can be much smaller but as the thickness keeps on going up the the radius of the bend uh, keeps on increasing hmm. you cannot bend it uh, beyond a certain degree depending upon the thickness Mm-hmm. so that uh, yeah there is a constraint over there mm-hmm. however you can overcome that constraint in a certain manner mm-hmm. depending upon how you configure your uh, your particular product or your piece of furniture so uh, in in our case when we were working with flexi ply we wanted some uh, really you know uh, uh, you know uh, bends of a very small radius mm-hmm. uh, and we found that uh, if we are using say about 12 mm thick ply we could not do that so we cut grooves on the surface of the ply at uh, short intervals and uh, then bend the ply mm-hmm. what happens is that the ply where you where you groove it becomes weak correct but then where you are bending it if it does not really uh, take that much of stress then you are perfectly justified in bending it over there. Mm-hmm. so, so for you, example if it's a 12 mm thing uh, you groove it up to say 8 mm or 6 mm and then turn it yeah you can groove it to about maybe about 4 mm 5 mm deep okay, okay. and at uh, maybe at intervals of 6 to 8 mm mm-hmm. that also uh, makes the, the the piece of furniture interesting because it gives you a visual texture mm-hmm. so wherever the ply is bending you'll see this series of grooves which are running along oh. so it, it it kind of you know gives it a an interesting texture mm-hmm. there there was another reason also for us giving the grooves which was that uh, when we try to because what we are doing with this is we are cold bending it you know there's nothing else that we are doing it mm. so when you when you are bending it the surface which is on top comes under tension on okay, the, the outer the, side the, the outer side mm. the top layers come under tension the bottom layers go into compression mm. you know it's it's typical structure that way mm. like any kind of member which you bend the top top part of it goes into tension the lower part goes into compression so the top part which goes into tension has a tendency to crack so there are very fine cracks which are developed on the surface of the ply which becomes very difficult to finish mm. however when you start grooving it and then bending it the the cracking starts happening where the groove is mm. you know it happens in the depth of the groove and it kind of kind of gets confined to the depth of the groove so in effect you don't see the cracks at all mm. so that that gives it a much more a, a better finished product mm-hmm. so grooving it actually gives us a, a dual purpose one is that we are able to bend it easily along a narrower curvature and secondly we get a better surface finish mm-hmm. 
But all these things happen only once you start actually experimenting with the material. Correct. You correct. know, so it's not just a question of saying that okay, I'll take flexi ply and I'll bend it, and it, that's it. We are done with it. Mm. We have achieved whatever we wanted. Mm. It's like you start working with it, and then you start discovering all these things. Then you try to figure out what is the way around it. So the thing about bending ply is also like you know this method of grooving it is and it's quite an old process. I mean, many many people have done it. A lot of designers have used it and done it. But uh, you know, achieving a specific purpose using that thing and also figuring out other issues like the cracking process and getting a better finish is something which happens once you start actually working with the material and you try to figure out okay what is the way around it and you know how can you resolve those particular issues. Mm-hmm. And uh, does it happen that so if you're playing around with such small details, can this be mass manufactured also, or it has to be like a single piece or? Like maybe two pieces or whatever. That's a good question, Kedar. Uh, I guess if you set your mind to it, you can mass manufacture anything at all. You <laughs> know, technology and processes are so advanced now that that anything is. I mean, you are you can possibly definitely mass manufacture it. You know, you can you can. But whether it uh, is uh, suitable enough, whether there is a sufficient, enough. whether the market kind of uh, you know allows you to do that or not, is something that's a different question entirely. Mm-hmm. Also, the kind of resources which you would need to kind of achieve that that kind of mass manufacturing process. Correct. That's that. Those are different questions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are commercial questions. <laughs> but yes, it definitely can be mass manufactured. Why not? Mm-hmm. Uh. Okay, so Aziz, I wanted to just move to slightly um, uh, not so technical part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so in India, at least from what I have understood or what I have learned, is that people have a certain inclination towards wood. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe like teak wood or rose wood, as you said. Uh, so why do you think that has been the case? I mean, it's more uh, like. Yeah, it's just why Why do you think that has... First of all, like, do you also think like that? Uh, in terms of not you particularly, but people generally inclined towards wood as a material. Because at least from my exposure, if I see some Scandinavian furniture, there's a lot of metals and glass and other materials being used. Mm. In India, you see traditionally a lot of things which are done with wood. So why would that be the case? It could be the case because... Uh uh, Obviously, if you have some different perception or different no, thought. no, I agree with you. I think I think the uh, the the, the uh, issue about wood is a historical issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, from generations together, we have uh, you know used wood as a material for building, for not only you know making uh, houses and for construction, for furniture, for almost everything at all that you think about. Wood has been available and has been plentiful. It is it is embedded in our history, so obviously wood comes up all the time. Uh, the reason why people in India are still uh, kind of uh, hung up with wood is also because I think uh, uh, designers reach India quite late. I mean, what what it did in the West, and you know, it came a lot more earlier, and people started experimenting with different materials, and you know, use of these different materials. 
in india it's uh, it's it's come in quite late but uh, i think contemporary times if you see there is a whole lot of material which is being used mm-hmm. in addition to wood and people are getting more and more aware about uh, issues about using wood and you know issues about conservation and deforestation and the ecological uh, issues and things like that so yeah i mean uh, there there mm-hmm. <laughs> there are all these uh, concerns which are there mm-hmm. but wood yeah i would definitely i mean it's it's something which is very much part of our being i think it's part of our consciousness you know mm-hmm. it's been with us for for so long that it's difficult to get it out of our system mm-hmm. yeah so moving on with the same question uh, i would like to take a parallel because that's what i could connect with so if you look at some fashion magazines or fashion tv or whatever like things like that right there are certain dresses and certain costumes which are designed by designers which are like really premium and you would never see those kind of things on the streets um but or maybe never see or you can see in certain pockets of the city or certain parts of the world maybe some bollywood celebrities are using those so there's a transition of how that experimental work is coming down to the ordinary man similarly i wanted to ask you that the kind of experiments designers like you do in their studios playing with different materials sometimes not feasible to mass manufacture or like get on to the streets but there are certain high end scientific studies which you do with other materials right so how does that come to the market is there any process how has been your observation towards that has it really come down uh If that I think uh, I think either at the end of the day it's all a question of commerce here. It's a, it's all about how much does the product cost, you know, and and what kind of value is associated with it as far as the consumer is concerned. Because obviously you make a very uh, you know uh, say you make a chair which is extremely comfortable, which kind of you know is kind of you know uh, done in such a manner that depending upon. who is sitting on it what is the weight of the person what is the posture of the person it will kind of align itself and give you the most comfortable seating position and things like that and it's made of some very high end materials you know some alloys and some production process which is really complicated and all those kind of things but it costs like tons and tons of money mm-hmm. who the hell is going to buy it you know it's just unaffordable it might be a fantastic chair in that sense but but you can't you can't market it commercially because so the production what, costs are so high so what goes in the designer's mindset as mm-hmm. in to push those boundaries and to explore different things because it's if it's see as a designer mm-hmm. you always want people to use it right mm-hmm. so not necessarily not necessarily uh, you you might just be driven by the concern that i want to produce the most comfortable piece of furniture the most comfortable chair in the world and you know there might be uh, certain things which you might kind of uh, you know uh, put together you might research it you might do things about it it's, it's the passion which drives you on as long as you can afford to do it and you have the resources to do it mm-hmm. and the passion drives you along then you will go ahead and do it but isn't there, like there isn't any single stream or thread that it should reach masses because it's comfortable everyone will have a better lives Well, of course, that concern is there. Yeah, so that concern then, is there then, all the time. Yeah, but then, how do how do designers balance, or how do you also balance this pushing of boundaries with respect to experimentation, and yet making it viable uh, for 
ஆமாங்கள் so so that i mean i i really i really don't understand that question kedar that you mm. know it's it's like all kinds of things i mean people do research in all kinds of uh, topics you know that the similarly people do research in design no but that cascades in certain layers till it reaches the ordinary man so, as per at least my understanding so i'll give you another example which i recently stumbled upon so there's a beautiful light by made by floss mm. which i really like mm. and then when i went into actually lakshmi lakshmi in the silicate i found at least 10 replicas of the same right. but i could clearly see the posture the angle the straightness the aluminum the quality all being different and i was asking so that floss light cost some 70 grand and this costs like 2800 right but still that design has reached yeah. but whoever is sensitive won't really buy that hmm. similarly if you make a make a piece of furniture which has got that finish that feel which is not really tangible as such hmm. so you want the exact thing to be in the market right but that may not be possible because of the kind of material you have used the mm. amount of investment that has gone into that one piece so i just want to understand the transition how does that come into the market does it always has to come as a copy or maybe ikea the way they have done it they intentionally design with something which can be affordable yeah so ikea works with a specific brief no they want to make furniture which is affordable for the mass market mm. and they will design it only in that particular fashion whereas uh, a high end company like floss might be looking for a lighting fixture which does something which is very specific that's the intent of the designer then finally you know what what he or she wants to do with that object and how it has to be presented uh, to the uh, consumer mm. so it's it's a question of then what is the brief and what you are working with and and who do you want to reach finally so that that's something which the designer has to question i mean the designer might say like uh, philip stark made his uh, citrus juicer mm. okay which does not functionally everybody knows that it doesn't work yeah. yeah but it still works at a certain level as a sculptural object and also because of uh, the the aura which is there around philip stark that it's a stark design object which you have in your house you know mm-hmm. so <laughs> so in that sense it, i think i think it it all depends upon from object to object and what is the brief and where do you want it to reach and who your final consumer is and what your concern is you know mm-hmm. yeah that makes sense completely that's uh, that's kind like it's saying like then why why make a rolls royce and why not just make uh, you know nanos no. yeah <laughs> 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 you want you want a car which is grand and comfortable and it's kind of upholstered very well and it's got the greatest kind of suspension and you know it runs fabulously and it's rugged and strong and everything and then you then you can't say that okay the nano is a kind of watered down version of that no the nano has its own set of uh, concerns and the rolls royce has its own set of concerns yeah yeah i think that answers <laughs> uh So I would like to conclude with uh, one last question like what what do you think will be the dominant material in the coming decades uh, again uh, now that I get 
where you're coming from it makes sense that it again depends on the brief but is there a pattern which you have seen in the coming time uh and what could be the possible materials which will designers will play with should play with can play with i don't know kedar it's all a question of i mean material technology keeps on evolving all the time yeah you know people are researching and finding out new new different kinds of material on a regular basis i think uh, no but the way i the said the predominant concerns are going to be more about uh, you know uh, i think ecology i think where we are headed in terms of uh, energy use and you know uh, things like that uh, maybe also you know technology could also take us in in directions which uh, probably you know we could be seeing something which goes from mass production to individual production i mean with uh, technology like 3d printing and things like that you know if if uh, sekedar wants a particular object to be made in his his own way and he has some some kind of a clue or a vision as to how he wants it and if technology is available for you to kind of just put it together then you will make your own objects you know then mass production will probably take a back seat or mass production could be for certain kinds of objects only and not for certain other kinds of objects so you know it's kind of the way forward is kind of uh, it's kind of wide open you know mm-hmm. technology will keep on evolving and i think uh, based on that uh, people will try figuring out their own uh, you know where they are headed and what they want to do with it mm-hmm. but it's also brings us to a philosophical question yeah <clears throat> that finally at the end of the day you know it's what will give human beings happiness mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. <laughs> it's 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 uh, yeah it's kind of okay. it's kind of difficult there's a there's a thought that says that if you can source everything within a certain limited radius of your existence then that is probably you know raising your happiness quotient oh wow so okay. it's also about like say farming mm-hmm. you know or food so if say within the vicinity of bombay in a radius of say 50 kilometers you know i get certain kind of fruits and certain kind of vegetables and certain kind of cereals and i can only i use those only you know and then i'm not saying that i want apples from australia and i want some cherries from somewhere else and you know whatever you know so it's like you know it's something like that yeah mm-hmm. there's also this other this thing that you know uh, in a house probably you need only a maximum of 250 objects so people are hoarding and hoarding and hoarding and keeping all kinds of things and you know they're doing all these things. so all these different thoughts and processes are evolving mm-hmm. to what extent you know we will keep on uh, buying objects and more objects and more objects and discarding them and getting even more objects is something which is also you know it's a personal uh, kind of evolvement in that sense yeah, you know mm-hmm. where where do you want to go and i think if uh, to me it seems that you know if if that actually happens then the value of the objects will keep on increasing you mm. know mm. the value and the respect for the object will keep on increasing you know the throwaway culture which we are probably witnessing right now which is leading to so much of waste and so much of uh, you know uh, uh, you know consumption is just going up and up and up now you people say that okay you know they become choosy about the objects they they, they want only certain specific kinds of objects you know mm-hmm. they don't want like um uh, you know 50 different pairs of garments and they don't want you know 20 different pairs of shoes and things like that 
then probably you know the concentration on that particular product will possibly keep on increasing hmm. and you'll find more and more value out of those objects and quality also and quality also yeah yeah so yeah, yeah I, i think you know what is the way ahead what is going to be the specific material i don't even i i can't even think that there is going to be one specific material i think there are going to be many many different kinds of materials hmm you know depending upon how you have. i mean look at the the case of say bicycles yeah bicycles have become so popular these days yeah but if you actually examine the kind of materials which are being used in bicycles it's going from the very low basic to the extremely high tech mm. you know frames are becoming lighter and stronger and you know hubs are becoming more and more evolved and there is titanium coming into it and there are from the <laughs> from the lowly steel tube bicycles which we which we used to have to something which is so sophisticated and something so it's kind of yeah. it's kind of difficult to predict where we are headed but it's 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 an exciting journey ahead i think mm-hmm. lots of things to look forward to definitely definitely uh all right i think this is a good note to end this uh, uh obviously lot of things to be pondered upon and I have to listen to this again to uh, digest few of the things, and uh, yeah, I, I really like the part where you said about uh, it's the designer's choice eventually as to, and the designer's brief also. So that's something. Uh, okay, thank you, uh, thank you, sir, for giving us your time, and it was nice talking to you. Thank you, Kedar. Yeah. My pleasure. Okay. And that's it from today's Gyan session. Catch us on iTunes, Savan, Stitcher, or any podcasting app you use. Do rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Stay tuned for more Gyan on AudioGyan dot com. Till then, bye.